Well, good morning. And, you know, with weather like this, it, it does make us feel like uh, starting to think about summertime a little bit. I mean, we're all realists in Michigan. We know we're going to get about a foot of snow next week. But um, it's nice to start thinking that way. So make sure that if you get the opportunity, you can join them next week to think a little bit about children's ministry and about the VBS coming up. We want to welcome you. If, uh, if this happens to be your first time at Brown Corners Church, uh, welcome. We're glad you're here. We're glad you've joined us for worship today. Uh, if you would do us a big favor, you should find in the back of the seat or the pew near you what we call a connection card. It's a, just a place for you to let us know a little bit about who you are. And uh, we'd love to stay in touch with you. We have a free gift we'd like to get to you and be able to answer any questions we could about our church. And so if you would slip that either in the, in the, uh, the offering boxes on the back wall or, or take it out to the Welcome Center in the, in the foyer, uh, we'd love to l- know a little bit more about you and how we can stay in touch with you and, and minister to you as well. If you have your Bibles, please join me in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. The Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. While you're turning there, I have to confess that um, I'm doing a little bit of cheating here. I really would like to finish the Gospel of Mark and coincide the, the final story in the book about the resurrection with uh, Resurrection Sunday, with Easter. And so to do that, though, we're going to jump past a couple of stories and, and a couple of the events that take place leading up to it. Um, it's not to say that they're not important, but we want to really try to try to coincide that with Easter. And so maybe sometime we'll come, come back and, and hit some of those, uh, those stories and those chapters that we missed. But Mark chapter 10, and what I'd like us to do before we go any further this morning is just uh, bow and ask the Lord's blessing upon His Word as we study together. Let's bow. Heavenly Father, we thank You for today and for the chance to come to, come to Your church and worship You and Sing your praises to fellowship and to be built up and to build up one another. Now as we come to your word, O oh God, we ask that you would, you would teach our hearts today. Or teach us about following you, about the great cost involved. And I pray that as we search this passage, Lord, would you search our hearts to see if there's any any idols that are keeping us from pursuing you with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, and we're going to uh, begin reading at verse 13. Mark chapter 10, verse 13. And they were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. When Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a little child shall not enter it. And he he took them in his arms and blessed them, laying his hands on them. And as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up and knelt before him and asked him, good teacher, What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. And Jesus, looking at him, loved him. And he said to him, You lack one thing. Go 
Sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. And Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And the disciples were amazed at his words. But Jesus said to them again, Children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And they were exceedingly astonished. And he said to him, And who can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. Peter began to say to him, See, we've left everything and followed you. And Jesus said, Truly I say to you, there's not one who has left house or brothers or sister or mother or father or children or lands for my sake and for the gospel who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with persecutions and in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and the last will be first. The title of today's message is Money Problems, and we're meeting a man in this story who had some issues with his money. You know, he was very close, very close to understanding and to getting it, so close, but still so far. I remember a few years back, my family and I went to Gatlinburg, Tennessee on vacation. Uh, some relatives had a home there and, and we were going to meet them and, and stay for a few days and, and see them and, and spend some time in the surrounding community. And we went uh, and, and spent the day in Gatlinburg and drove around and, and saw all the tourist traps and things like that. And, and uh, when we were getting ready to leave, I was getting ready to pull out of this municipal parking lot, and the, the traffic was busy, and I couldn't really turn left very well. I said, well, honey, I think if I just turn right here uh, and, and make a few turns down some of these side streets, I think it'll sp- spill us back out on the main road and take us back towards where the cabin is. She said, fine, and trusting my sense of direction, not, not maybe her best decision, but it was my fault. So... Uh, we got going, and I kind of thought it was the road, but it kind of didn't look like the road that we took in, and so I was kind of like trying to be confident about the direction we were going, but I kind of really wasn't. Like, this just didn't seem like we were going the exact same way. The surroundings didn't look the same as they did when we came into town, but I kept going, thinking, you know, maybe it'll, it'll look familiar here soon, and, and it just was not looking familiar at all. It, in fact, it was looking really not like anywhere I'd ever been before. And, and so I finally pulled over and I looked at the GPS and lo and behold, I had taken a wrong turn and gotten on a wrong road. And I was now on the other side of the mountain from where we were supposed to be. I really wasn't that far. It was just over the mountaintop. It really wasn't that far from where I wanted to go. But because the road didn't go there, I was a lot farther than what it looked like on the map. And so I was about halfway around the mountains. I could have went back or, or kept going. Either way, it was going to be the same distance. What should have taken me about 10 minutes took me about an hour. I was close to my destination, close to where I wanted to be, but I was really a long way off. The man that we meet today in this story, we often call him the rich young ruler. He was close to following Jesus, close to getting it but still so far away. In this story here, Jesus and his disciples leave 
the home where he spent and used, used, taught the, the disciples that these little children, they had the right perspective. We had to take their posture if we're going to approach the kingdom of God. And as they're getting ready to leave and head out towards Jerusalem, which, by the way, was going to be his last trip to Jerusalem. Now, we're, we're near, even though we still have a few chapters to go in Mark, we're near the final week of his life. Chapter 11 begins with what we celebrate on Palm Sunday, his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And so we're really nearing the, the tail end of Jesus' ministry in life. And he's getting ready to make that final journey towards Jerusalem where he's going to be arrested and ultimately crucified. And as he's setting out, it tells us in verse 17 that this man comes and finds him. And so if you're filling out uh, your, your notes there in the bulletin, the first thing that we have is the question. This man's going to approach him with a question. And he comes to him and says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now this man asked the question that all of us need to ask in our life. It's one of the most important questions you're going to ever find an answer to. How can I be right with God? How can I have eternal life? How can I have a relationship with God? How can I know that I'm going to be okay? It's a million dollar question. He poses it to Jesus. Now, I want to say, um, this man, this, this guy gets a bad rap. Because in the end, it doesn't, the story doesn't turn out well for him. But I, I just got to say, notice there's some, there's some real positives here about how he comes to Jesus. And it shows his earnestness. It says he, in verse 17, he ran up. He ran up. This guy was, well, maybe Jesus had already started walking. He saw him from a distance and he, he had to get to him. You know, this was, um, in, the, in the first century, a, a respectable adult male wouldn't do this. Uh, you may remember from the story of the Good Samaritan, remember the, the, I mean, I'm sorry, the prodigal son. The father runs out to meet the son. Uh, th- that was not a common behavior among Jewish men. It shows this, this man's earnestness, his desire to, to get to Jesus. He had an earnestness. He came with an attitude of humility. It says he came and knelt before him. He truly wanted to know how he could be right with God. His heart was searching. He wanted the answer. You know, this was a man who was a man of, of prestige. And it, it tells us in, um, in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that he was a wealthy man. He had a lot of possessions. It tells us in Matthew that he was a young man. Luke calls him a ruler. That's why we get the title, the rich young ruler. He had some kind of a position of authority. We don't know if he was a ruler of a synagogue or somewhere else. But he was, he was a, a wealthy young man. He, he, would, he, would, he was, it was a, a, a kind of an up-and-coming, aspiring businessman. Someone who would have had a, a, just an impact in his community. He would have been the kind of guy that, that most, of, most of our churches would have welcomed with open arms. He was ambitious. He was, he was a moral person, upright in character. And yet, he was missing some things. This just reminds me that you can, you can be sincere. You can have passion. You can be devout and still be sincerely wrong. There are devout people all over the world today 
who are worshiping in different ways, worshiping devoutly, but not worshiping the one true God, not worshiping with the spirit of humility, and not getting the right answer to the questions. And so, he comes, and he asks Jesus, and he's floored by Jesus' response. And so that's the second thought here, is the response. Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Don't steal. Don't bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. Jesus replies to this man in a way to draw him out. First of all, he says, why do you call me good? No one's good but God alone. Now, Jesus isn't somehow denying here that he's God. Scripture is, is com- got a completely different perspective on that all the way through. Jesus teaches that he is God. The New Testament all the way through teaches that Jesus is God. Jesus isn't saying, why do you call me? Or, no one's good but God alone for the sake of causing this man to question his deity. But he wants to say, do you really know who you're talking to? You're calling me good and... Do you really mean what you're saying here? Uh, do you, are, you, are you ready to acknowledge that, that I'm the Son of God? And so he says, you know the commandments. And he lists off six of the ten commandments. Now, you may have noticed uh, one of them was do not defraud. That's not technically, there's no commandment that's worded that way. But commentators think that maybe Jesus was alluding to the tenth commandment, um, which was uh, don't, don't covet your neighbor's possessions, and maybe uh, the idea was don't defraud your neighbor. Um, But either way, he lists off a series of of the Ten Commandments. And the man's reply, listen to him, he says, Teacher, all these I've kept from my youth. This man was devout. When a young boy, a a Jewish boy was 13, they were considered to to become an adult and and they were expected to obey the Torah, the law. And he says, I have. I've been faithful. I've done what's been required of me. Now, Jesus could have replied differently here. He could have said, perhaps you haven't uh, downloaded the podcast of my sermon that I preached, you know, the one on the mount, it's kind of famous. And in that sermon, I told people that, that maybe, outward, maybe they haven't actually killed somebody, but you know what? When I look at things, if you have hatred in your heart towards someone, that's the same as murder. If you have lust in your heart toward, a, toward someone else, that's the same as adultery. He could have went that route with this guy and is like, listen, he, you don't understand. You haven't kept any of the commandments. You think you have and maybe outwardly have. Jesus didn't go that route. He took another path here to show this man his sin. But notice that it says, after Jesus hears his reply in verse 21, it says, Jesus, looking at him, he loved him. He loved him. Jesus' heart was moved toward compassion. He saw this earnest young man desiring, seeking after God, and his, his heart went out to him. Jesus, over and over and over in the, in the Gospels, is compassionate to those who are seeking him. To the hard-hearted, to those who think they have it all together, they have it all figured out, the self-righteous, 
Jesus speaks very abrasively to. Not unlovingly, but, but harshly. This man, though, however, was self-righteous, but, but there was something else different about him. I believe that Jesus saw there was a, a heart that really, really wanted to get it right. And he truly was genuine when he asked, how do I get eternal life? I want to know. Because something in him had told him he didn't have it yet. No matter how hard he worked, no matter how much he thought he had it together, no matter how good he thought he was doing, something deep down inside told him it still wasn't good enough. And you know, Scripture tells us that. We can work as hard as we want to earn the favor of God. You can work yourself to the bone. You can be fervent and put forth every effort to work for God's approval. But the Bible says that that's not how you get it. Salvation is by grace alone through faith alone. Jesus just held the the little children up as as an example. This is how you have to come to me with simple faith. Not working your tail off trying to impress me and earn my favor and merit. That doesn't, that never has worked in the history of ever. No one, no one can measure up to God's perfect standards. But Jesus wanted this man to see that there was something that he was, a, a total blind spot in his life. We all have blind spots that we need people to, to speak into. And Jesus spoke to this man and says, all right, one thing you lack. Verse 22, I believe. One thing you lack. I'm sorry, 21. Go, sell all that you have, and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. Jesus said, if you want this eternal life, you got to sell everything and follow me. Now, as we read that, it almost seems to contradict what I just said about salvation being by faith alone through grace alone. Is Jesus telling him to work harder? One more step. You need to do one more thing to earn my approval, and that is go sell everything. I don't think Jesus was was affirming that salvation is by works at all. Jesus was revealing where this man's heart truly still was. This guy wanted to work himself to the bone, but he still had another master. He still was worshiping another. You see, Sunday morning here, we, we, we come in and we sing songs. We sing worship music before the Lord, songs of praise to God. But that, that doesn't mean that he's our master. We can have idols lying just beneath the surface, other gods in our life that no one else can see. See, the disciples were probably standing back and listening to this man, and and they'd seen his piety and devotion, and they were probably thinking, we just got a 13th team member here. Look at this guy. He's got it all together. He's got passion and devotion. Certainly, Jesus is going to be impressed with this one. On top of everything, the guy's loaded. I mean... We got Judas here managing the money bags, and there's ever any money in there. What's going on here? We, we got some guy with some cash here. Maybe we can have you know, a decent meal once in a while. This is the kind of guy we would have been impressed with. And Jesus says, All right, sell everything you have. And immediately revealed 
the idolatry in the man's heart. He wanted to serve Jesus, but only so far. He wanted to call Jesus his Lord, but only kind of. Jesus said, okay, I'll play along here. You're talking about doing stuff. You're talking about living an impressive, pious life. All right, then just do this one more thing. And when he pointed out the man's greatest treasure, we saw this, this man really didn't want to follow Jesus after all. He wanted a Jesus that conformed to his image. He wanted a God that he could shape and mold and, and that, was, that was comfortable for him to follow. And the interaction with him ends sadly. Verse 22 says he was disheartened by the saying. And he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. It was just one thing too much for him. You know, as believers, God's called us to follow him. And we've said over and over and over throughout Mark that it's, it's a costly call. It's a narrow road to travel. It's not one filled with fame and popularity and accolades. It's truly a road less traveled. And this man was not willing to get on it. Jesus turned and used this opportunity as a teaching moment for his disciples. And that's the third thought here is the teaching. As the man turned away, verse 23 says, Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how difficult it will be for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words. He says in verse 25, it's easier for a camel to go through an eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom. As Jesus unpacks this interaction for his disciples, the first thing that we can see is that it's hard for the rich to be saved. It's hard for the wealthy to be saved. Many of us perhaps breathe a sigh of relief and think, fortunately, uh, that's not me, Uh, I'm, you know, I'm got nothing here. Uh, I'm going home and having P&J for lunch. I, I'm, I, don't have, I don't have much extra. I, I, I see a lot of wealthy people. I know a lot of people with money, but I, I don't have much. The, the truth of the matter is that Jesus is speaking to probably 99% of us in this room. If we were to put us into context with the entire world, we would realize that most of us are actually very, very wealthy. Few of us would call ourselves rich. Few of us would number ourselves among the wealthy, but when we put ourselves in context of the globe, in context of what first century security and and financial wealth would have been, most of us are doing incredibly well. Many of us have multiple vehicles, uh, a comfortable house with heat, and many of us pay our bills each month without without worry. We We have... jobs to go to. We have secure, comfortable lives. Many of us have enough extra money. We're going to grab lunch on the way home today at a, at a nice restaurant. In, in, in perspective, most of us are fairly wealthy. And, and there's a reason that Jesus speaks so harshly about money at times. Money is not evil. Money is not a sin. 
But wealth can be a problem for a couple reasons. First of all, it creates a false sense of security. We can be tempted to think, I've got it. I look at my bank account, I look at my paycheck, everything's going to be okay. And it tempts us to take our eyes off the Lord. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And wealth sometimes tempts us to take our hope off of God and to put it on the uncertainty of riches. Wealth also can cause us to be consumed with the things of this world. If we're too busy building up our kingdom and our treasure truly is here on this earth, well, we're not laying it up in heaven. And the third reason that wealth can be a problem is that it can, it can make us selfish. It can cause us to pursue self-centered goals, buy more stuff, accumulate more things, take more vacations, all centered around me and not how I can be a blessing to others. Jesus isn't saying that all good Christians are poor, have nothing. He's not saying that. What he's teaching us is that wealth brings with it an abundance of temptations that many can't handle. He says, in fact, to give us an illustration, he says it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a wealthy person to get into the kingdom of God. Now, I've heard some people teach that, that uh, Jesus wasn't really saying what it appears he's saying, that there was actually a gate in Jerusalem that was called the eye of the needle gate, and that camels had a physically difficult time getting through there. You'd have to take the, the baggage off them, they'd have to kind of stoop down, and they could get through, but it was difficult. Um, the, the fact is, is that, that that just simply is not the case, that, that wasn't, there was no such gate in Jesus' day. He's saying, he's using a figure of speech to say, listen, it's really, really hard for wealthy, self-centered, self-sufficient people to get into my kingdom because they don't want to depend upon me completely. They want to depend upon themselves. It's easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for the wealthy to get into heaven. But here's the deal. It is hard for the rich to be saved, but God can do the impossible. Did you catch what verse 27 said? The disciples were astonished in verse 26, and, and they said, who can be saved? I mean, they, they as, as in much, many, many folks today, look at wealth as a sign of blessing from God. If you're wealthy, then God must be very, very happy with you. Uh, you know, if you read the book of Job, Job's friends had that perspective, uh, that, 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 that wealth and possessions are a sign of God's divine favor. You don't have to look very far in a Christian bookstore or to spend much time on, on Christian programming on TV to find other preachers that will say that. That if you're living a life that's pleasing to God, then you're going to be completely healthy and you're going to be financially secure. It's just simply not scriptural. It's completely opposite of what Jesus is saying here. It is difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. But God can do the impossible. He says in verse 27, With man it is impossible, but not with God. For all things are possible with God. By God's grace, a camel can go through the eye of a needle. Yeah, you, do you remember Zacchaeus? Wee little man. Wee little man was he? Remember him? He climbed up in a what? sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. All right, some of you sang it. 
he was a man who heard Jesus was coming and, and he wanted to, to know about Jesus. He wanted to be able to meet Jesus. And you remember, he was a tax collector, had swindled all kinds of people and gained all kinds of wealth through, through it was ill-gotten gains, through deception and lying. You remember his interaction with Jesus? Did Jesus tell him to sell everything? He didn't. You can read the story. I think it's Luke 19 or 20. But Zacchaeus, immediately when Jesus called on him to repent, he repented in his first act. I don't, I, if, I read this, if I remember reading the story correctly, I didn't refresh myself this week on it, but I, Jesus didn't ask him to do anything with his wealth, but his first response was, I'm going to go back and pay people back for what I've done to them. I'm, I'm going to give 50% of all that I have back and make right what I've done wrong. God can save wealthy people. And Zacchaeus, in his, in his act of repentance, demonstrated that, that money was no longer going to be his God. He was repenting and turning from that God to the one true God. And that's what this rich young ruler simply couldn't do. I want you to know that there is nothing, listen carefully, there is nothing that you will give up that won't be worth it in the end. When Jesus calls you and I to follow him, the cost can be great. I want to ask you this morning, is there something deep down where, where you kind of have drawn the line in your life? I'm willing to do this for you, God. I'm willing to give up this. But just don't ask about this. I'll even serve in children's ministry. I'll help out with VBS, but just don't ask me to do this, God. I'll change dirty diapers in the nursery. I'll stay after the event and take care of chairs at the church. Just please don't ask me to do this, God. What if tomorrow God says, I want you to pack up. I want you to take your family. I want you to be missionaries to share the gospel in Saudi Arabia or in the jungles of Myanmar? Would there be a place where you would say, this far, God, but not that? I want you to ask yourself this week, I want you to take some time to think, is there, is there, a, is there a blank where God could not write anything in in my life? Jeremiah, I want you to be willing to give, give up your wealth. I want you to be able to Give your car away to someone who needs it. I, I want you to be able to take a huge chunk of your week and, and give it to poor people in need and serving them. Is there a blank in your life where God couldn't write something in? Where you've got exceptions? Where you've already started to fill it out? God, this is what I'll do here, but not this. This rich young ruler he was willing to be devout, but when God called him to give up his wealth, the one true treasure, he wouldn't do it. I want you to know that the sacrifice is worth it. That no matter what God calls you to give up, no matter what you have to lay down, it will be worth it all. Jesus says, there is no one, I'll just paraphrase these last few verses of this, this section, there is no one who's left all these things who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time 
and in the age to come, eternal life. He said, I, I promise I will honor your sacrifice. Both now, and he doesn't explain what that means. He doesn't, ex- he doesn't uh, explain what receiving a hundredfold now in this time exactly looks like. But he says, in the age to come, eternal life. Jesus promises rewards. Jesus promises the joy and the, the fulfillment of knowing that we're being obedient to him. Are you willing to follow? Just by way of application, I want to ask you two questions. First of all, in whom or in what are you placing your trust? In whom or in what are you placing your trust? Is there something else that's giving you security, that's giving you confidence You've kind of got Jesus attached to the side, but so long as I've got this, I'm okay. So long as I've got my spouse, so long as I've got my kids, so long as I've got my job, so long as I've got my bank account, I'm okay. In whom or in what are you placing your trust? And then secondly, are you trying to measure up? This rich young ruler was trying to do whatever he could to make himself pleasing with God. And Jesus has said, all I want you to do is to come to me like a little child. I want you to come to me in, in humble, quiet, simple faith. That's all I'm asking you. This man wanted to do great things to earn God's favor and blessing. And today God is calling you, he's calling me to just trust him as a little child. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Yes, God calls us to to work, to serve, to do things for him, but not so that we can measure up, not so that we can earn acceptance, but because he's accepted us, that's why we do what we do in service to him. Amy Carmichael was a missionary to India and ministered to many of the poor and destitute faithfully sharing Christ throughout her years of service there. At one point, she was given audience with a Hindu queen in her palace. The queen was, a, was someone who was very interested in spiritual things and wanted to ask Amy Carmichael about this Christian faith that she had heard so much about. As the conversation developed, she began to push Miss Carmichael regarding what was necessary for salvation. And, and Amy attempted to deflect her, saying, we can talk about that later. We can, we can have another conversation another time. But this queen was determined to hear it. In Amy's own words, she said she insisted. So I, I read her a little of what Jesus says about himself. She knew quite enough to understand and take in the force of the forceful words. She would not be content to be led gently on. She said, no, I must know it now, she said. As verse by verse we read to her, her face settled sorrowfully. Listen to her words, the queen's response. So far must I follow? So far? I cannot follow so far. That was the response of this rich young ruler. Only so far will I go, but I I can't do that, Lord. What's your response this morning? What's Jesus calling you to do? And are you willing to go there with him?
Jim Elliott, the great missionary in Ecuador, said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. Beautiful summary of Jesus' words here in Mark chapter 10. May that be a reminder on all of our hearts this week as we seek to follow Christ. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as I begin to study Mark a year ago, over a year ago, getting ready for this series, I just hadn't seen so clearly and so blatantly Jesus' difficult words. It's easy to try to read around and jump around to our favorite stories, favorite healings or miracles that Jesus does, but when he begins to speak about the cost of discipleship, they are words that are difficult to hear, and they're words that, that are difficult to hear, especially in our culture where we spend so much time being comfortable, we spend so much money on being at ease, and, and Lord, these are words that are so tempting to, to dumb down and to, to soften and to dull the edges a little bit, make them a little more, uh, uh, less sharp and, and abrasive, Lord, help us not to do that. May we feel the weight of what Jesus says and, and, and search our hearts to see if, if there's any idols that we've exalted in our life, anything that, that is keeping us from fully following you, anything that we would refuse to give up. Lord, thank you that you promise it will be worth it all. There are rewards you give us in this life. God, we're thankful. If nothing else, the approval of a heavenly Father, the joy of knowing that we're walking with you. You also promise rewards in the age to come. There's no one here today who are, who are going to make sacrifices that will go unnoticed by you, God. We're thankful for that. Lord, may we apply the truths of Scripture. With the power of your Holy Spirit, may we apply these truths to our hearts. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. You're dismissed.